You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts. Or if you're a commuter, you don't like looking at your phone, you can always just ask your smart device like Siri, Alexa, Google Home even. Play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today we continue some of this bi-week content. Usually I would be previewing this Sunday's game or this weekend's game, but there isn't one. Vikings are just hanging out. So we'll talk about a little bit about some of the games that are going to go on. We'll talk about rooting guides and uh, or, you know, who, who you should be pulling for for the sake of the Vikings. And we'll take this moment of peace to take a look at the rookie class. So let's start a little bit with the playoff odds. Right now, most forecasting models, things like ELO or other forecasts, FPI, uh, pretty much everybody who does like high tech, you know, probability calculations have the Vikings with a greater than 90% chance to make the playoffs. And that's not exactly rocket science. If you look at the NFC standings right now, the Vikings have eight wins. Next closest team has six. There's only five games left. So blowing two games to another team is going to be a difficult thing to do. Now, obviously, somebody is going to make a run. There's this huge glut of teams in the NFC at that, like, 6-4, and 5-5-ish five and five-ish spot, and it just stands to reason with, like, the way that probabilities work that one of those teams is going to win, you know, four or five of their last games. So, you know, you don't exactly get to rest on your laurels. You still have to win two or three of them to give yourself a, a guarantee of a playoff spot. But let's say the Vikings are able to do that, and let's take it as kind of, I guess, a given that, you know, one of these, you're not going to have, like, a a sudden comeback from the Bears that steals the sixth seed or anything wild like that. Of course it's possible, but for now, let's ignore that possibility. And let's look at this week's matchups instead based on how they would help the Vikings if they were already in the playoffs. So right now, the most likely scenario, considering that the Vikings are a game behind the Packers and they have really bad tiebreakers this year against the Packers, they obviously lost the one head-to-head, they have two division losses, be really hard to win that division based off of tiebreakers, you would need the Packers to blow something against the Bears or Lions. So the most likely scenario is that the Vikings are a wildcard team and they're trying to be road warriors in the playoffs. At that point, you just kind of have your rooting interests based on who do we not want to travel to in the playoffs. Like, yeah, I don't really want to travel to the Superdome. That's a tough place to play. I would much rather go to like San Francisco or even Dallas, where the Vikings at least already showed that they could win. You could also go into Philadelphia. They won there last year. Obviously, that has a little bit of that juju in it. But to me, that's all splitting hairs, and it kind of depends on your opinion of those teams, and you're essentially just rooting for whichever one you think is the worst. And so obviously, you know, we're looking for the Packers to drop one. So that's easy. We're all 49ers fans. Go Jimmy Garoppolo and and Kyle Shanahan. But I think what's more interesting, and really the only, like, rooting interests that are important at this point, it's weird. The Vikings are in the wild card spot and in the sixth seed, and usually that's this precarious situation, and you have to root against all the teams that are creeping up and in the hunt and trying to take that away from you. But everybody's two games back, and we're nearing the end of November here, so it's almost better if you see losses from teams like the Saints or 49ers. I guess if they weren't playing the Packers specifically, so that in the world where these sorts of results matter, which the only one that is, is the one where the Vikings win the division, then you're talking about giving the Vikings a better chance for a bye. What you want is for the good teams in the NFC to beat up on each other. For this week, that's kind of simple and a little lame, right? You want the Panthers to go beat the Saints, and then the 49ers and Packers play each other, so somebody's going to get a loss there. Obviously, you hope it's the Packers. 
the rest of these games, they're kind of low octane. And you have like the Giants and the Bears, you have the Skins and the Lions. There's not a lot going on there that the Vikings really have to be concerned about. Of course, somebody is going to make a run, just like probably. And whenever that team reveals itself, we can start kind of rooting against them. But for now, it makes more sense to just pay attention to like go Panthers and go 49ers. And the path to a bye is one that is like a little bit more simple than it seems, even though the Vikings are in the sixth seed. Assuming the 49ers win that division, uh, if they don't and it ends up being the Seahawks, then just replace the Seahawks and the same kind of logic applies. Obviously, that Monday night game gets a lot more important there. But essentially, to get a bye, you need to take the division away from the Packers, which means they need to probably lose one more uh, than the Vikings do. They need to drop a full game below the Vikings, and playing the Packers in Week 16 is going to help out with that. And then to get that uh, that that coveted buy, all you really need is for one of the Niners or the Saints to fall off, and that's not out of the question. That said, it's probably not likely, and the best way, I guess, for the Vikings to actually carve through these playoffs and make a run here is to get hot at the right time, and for Kirk Cousins to have an, a January like his October was, which, again, not out of the question, but also something we probably don't have to worry about here yet in Week 12, and we'll talk about that more when it's a little more topical. So enough about non-Vikings games. Let's talk a little bit about the Vikings, and I wanted to take this chance to go through the rookie class. The Vikings drafted 12 players, 10 of them made the team, which is a really good rate, by the way, and we're almost to the quarter poll of the season here, so let's check it out and see exactly where these guys stand. You know, in my opinion, the Vikings have had a really strong draft class, but let's look, you know, player by player and see exactly where we come out. So we begin with Garrett Bradbury. So revisiting my take on him on, on draft day, he was somebody that I was pretty happy with the Vikings drafting. I said before, I think I actually uploaded a, a podcast on draft day where I previewed him and went, yeah, I'd take him for the Vikings. Uh, and so he ends up following the Vikings end up getting him. He is a, a zone run specialist, a reach block specialist. That's exactly what the Vikings wanted to run that Kubiak scheme. And if you've been following my explosive runs thread, you will see that a lot of those runs are sprung by Bradbury's reach blocks. Okay, so how how does that work? What, is, what do I mean by a reach block? And I, I've talked about this some in the past, but if you want to refresh or if you missed those episodes or whatever, here's basically how that works. So usually in box counts, when you're counting how many defenders are in the box versus how many blockers I have, so you can figure out if a run play is going to work. If you want to divide the field in half, so, you know, I mean, you're running to the, the left side. So if you have four blockers and they only have three defenders on the left, you're doing great, even if you're losing five to four on the other side, because that's all way away from the play. It's on the back side. It's not going to matter. And usually when doing those counts, you don't count the center, mainly because of the way that that positioning works out. If you're going to run to one side of the center, the center can't really be useful blocking defenders on that side unless he can get out and in front of him, which is exactly what a reach block is. And it's a very, very difficult block because you essentially have to get from one side of a defender to the other and then push on them. There's not a lot of chance to get anchor. And with a guy like strength issues, uh, with strength issues like Garrett Bradbury, it can be especially difficult, but he is incredible technique wise at these. And he gets a ton of depth on his first couple of steps when he comes out of his stance as a run blocker, and he can get those reach blocks, and it's sprung a whole bunch of explosive plays. Whereas, you know, if they have four defenders on the left side, you can kind of make it like they have three defenders on the left side because you can get your center in the mix, and that's not something that all teams have access to. It makes the box numbers more favorable toward you, and box numbers pretty much control what ends up happening on a run play. And that makes sense, right? If they have one too many defenders, your run play is not going to work. And having that advantage has really, really helped Dalvin Cook 
put together what is probably going to be a Pro Bowl season, almost certainly. Now, obviously, Bradbury's season started on a horrendous note. His first four games of the season were absolute catastrophes, where he was getting rolled up by Grady Jarrett and Kenny Clark, and he even underperformed against a shoddy Oakland pass rush, and then, like, Eddie Goldman got the best of him in Chicago. But since that moment, since that time, he really, really turned it around, and he, I guess, alongside the rest of the team, right? Uh, But he has been, since that time, the 13th graded uh, pro football focus center. If you don't like those grades, uh, and by the way, that's in pass blocking, run blocking, and overall, all 13th or 14th. But if you don't like those grades, which is fine, um, you can look at pass rushing productivity, which is just a stat that they have that is uh, pressures allowed per snap and sacks count for a little more. uh, So they just tweak it a little bit for that. And he also ranks 13th there. So I don't really see much of a reason to question that he's been the 13th best center in the league since that time. That's not top 10. That's not amazing. But for a rookie that was struggling a ton to begin the year, I will absolutely take that. And I think he's well on his way to becoming a fixture on the offensive line, just like we all wanted him to be when he was drafted. Not there yet. Lots to fix, but I like his prospects. And hey, even though it's the bye week, you're still gonna want to put a little bit of time into football this Sunday, and maybe even this Saturday if you're that kind of degenerate. So why not add some stakes? Why not put a buck down on teams you think are gonna win, think are gonna cover, think you know what's gonna happen? I know you guys know what you're talking about. You're smart. So put a buck down. And to do so, you should go to the number one online sports book. That's mybookie.ag. And they're number one for a good reason. They pay out right away. Their website is great. It's easy to navigate. I personally have had a ton of fun betting with my bookie this year. It's my first kind of foray into that world and exploring all the different parlays and teasers and just like over under bets and straight up stuff. It's been a big old blast. And hey, who you bet with matters just as much as who you bet on. So head on over to mybookie.ag. And if you enter promo code locked on, they will match your first deposit. That's free gambling money. Mybookie.ag, promo code locked on. All right, next up, let's talk a little bit about Irv Smith, who came in. Uh, And if you recall, the narrative around him in the preseason and in training camp and stuff was that he was a better blocker than we thought. And the book on him out of the draft was that he was a pretty balanced tight end, that he kind of could do it on. He did block reasonably well at Alabama. There were concerns, though, that he was a little bit too small for that to translate into the NFL and that he went up against SEC competition. Uh, I actually remember getting into a Twitter fight with uh, Locked On Packers host Peter Bukowski about this. Uh, Possibly some bias there, of course, because uh, his team drafted Jay Sternberger, who I wanted also, but I digress. Smith was probably my favorite pick of the whole draft at the time. Uh, I still think that that's kind of bearing out. Uh, the He's worked out amazingly here through 11 weeks. He did also get off to a little bit of a slow start, though. I don't think he actually got a catch until week three. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, he had a great week three against the Oakland Raiders, uh, and then he kind of was quiet for a couple more games, and then he kind of found his stride as a consistent target for the Vikings, and now he's getting targeted four, five, six times a game. I think there have only been four incompletions that have gone his way all season. Again, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think my count was right. For whatever it's worth, he is the second highest receiving graded tight end, uh, minimum 100 snaps, and he is the highest total offensive graded tight end uh, of the rookie class. Both of these are of the, the rookie class which is pitting him against, like, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant and stuff. It's pretty cool that he's keeping pace with all those guys. Next up, let's revisit Alexander Madison. This is one uh, that I ended up debating a lot with people about 
uh, after the draft. I, I definitely disagreed with this pick. And if you remember, this pick also was kind of coupled with like, I think four or five trades back. Rick Spielman traded back. It was a total of trading back like 20 spots in the draft, but it happened over the course of like trading back four spots, like a whole bunch of times. So it kind of became a meme. Uh, and the, what is perhaps just as interesting as how Alexander Madison has turned out, which has been, I mean, he's been amazing as a relief running back. I think the questions about value that I had are still there and kind of will always be there, even if he plays very well until he gets a starting role because, you know, they like don't extend Dalvin Cook or whatever. Uh, and if that's the case and you use that to resolve the redundancy, then fine. But I do still think that that problem exists and still kind of detracts from the value of the pick. But in terms of like how he's turned out as a rookie and was he scouted properly? I think absolutely and unquestionably, right? He's played with a nice wiggle. He's, uh, you know, made the right reads. He's very much a one cut and go back, which is not a knock. It's just his style. Uh, and he has a lot of a lot to say at the point of contact. Uh, especially on Thursday Night Football. You know, he kind of made his name there, and he's had lots of other things. He's also weirdly good at hurdling, which is something that I definitely didn't uh, think was a serious thing about him until he did it, like, every game. There was... uh, Some people actually said, like, yeah, no, he hurdled a bunch of people at Boise State. He was a hurdler at track. This is actually kind of a thing for him. And I thought that that was just kind of, like, draft analysts being cheeky and having a little bit of fun with it, and, like, it was kind of, like, a meme almost. Uh, But he actually is just good at that. And if you go at his ankles, it's just very difficult to take him down and he can consistently force missed tackles by hurdling. That's just kind of awesome. And of course it makes for some pretty aesthetically pleasing highlights, including uh, his first NFL touchdown. He's been genuinely good as a relief player. Now, if Dalvin Cook were to go down and Madison would have to come in, then I think we would maybe see, you know, another test of, of that skill level. And I don't know how that would go, although I'd have to be a little optimistic, right? Considering how his snaps so far have gone. But a a couple of interesting notes. For one, to the point of, you know, picking running backs higher versus waiting and getting lower running backs, there's pretty much one in every rookie class that's like an undrafted free agent or a really low pick that kind of ascends to the level of the rest. So right now, the top drafted rookie running backs are Josh Jacobs and Alexander, Alexander Madison in terms of uh, efficiency and yards after contact and stuff. And, and PFF grades kind of agree with this too, in case you wanted another check against that. But also up in that tier is Tony Pollard, an undrafted free agent who the Dallas Cowboys didn't spend anything on. Now, of course, they spent more than anybody on Ezekiel Elliott, so it doesn't exactly uh, hold, it doesn't ring very loudly, but it does kind of go toward the point that, you know, you can get a guy like that in undrafted free agency if you hit on him, too. That's kind of the thing with it. Madison has turned out about as well as you could ever ask for for a rookie, and the impact it's having on the team is still kind of like, meh, because a carry he's getting is a carry that Dalvin Cook isn't getting, and of course, that's not going to be as exciting, though, of course, you know, it's important to spell him and all that. But one kind of interesting note about him, and I I don't know if it means anything or if it's just kind of neat. So he has 88 snaps on the year, and he has 82 carries, which means pretty much all the time Madison is on the field, he is going to get the ball on a carry. And it's interesting because usually that's kind of a tell, right? You know, it'd be like when Matt Asiata comes out, you're not going to have a passing play where Asiata is going to go out and like be part of the passing game. So, or or, I mean, Adrian Peterson was like the extreme level of this, right? When, When Peterson was out, this was the 2015 Vikings. When Peterson was out, when Asiata was out, it was a run. And when McKinnon was out, it was a pass. And this was actually like a huge problem for them predictability wise. And it totally stymied that stifled 
that offense. Now, obviously, that's not happening here, and perhaps that's because defenses are, you know, respecting the run less or whatever. They're not, you know, so focused on loading the box and, and focusing on their run keys when 33 is out of the game. And honestly, if I'm scouting the Vikings, you know, looking at what they do when 25 is on the field isn't exactly the first place I would go in my limited time that I have to watch tape. So maybe teams are just overlooking it. Anyways, uh, before moving on, Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. Are you listening on the go? And if you can't visit Away right now, you can visit, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. All right, so on to the day three picks. Obviously, some of these we can rapid fire through. So we'll start with Drew Samia. He was the fourth round pick. The Vikings take him out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Uh, he came in, played guard with the third team for most of the preseason. He definitely looked very, very raw until about mid preseason, kind of in that second game, he kind of turned it on. And then suddenly you saw, oh, wait, he might have something. He was able to kind of make some blocks and, and do some impressive things. He wasn't quite consistent enough to like start pushing for a starting spot or anything like that, but he was consistent enough. He did show enough flashes to make the team for the Vikings to worry that they wouldn't be able to get him through waivers or under the practice squad. And plus he's a fourth round pick. So you don't usually cut those guys even if they aren't ready to play right away you just kind of stop stash them deep on the roster and I don't think he's been active for a game since now in some of Pat Elfline's worst moments on the year people have talked about benching Pat Elfline and perhaps starting Drew Samia so there's a couple of issues with that for one Samia is pretty much a pure right guard right now I don't think that he has uh, the the onboarding I guess to play left guard so you'd have to do some sort of switching with Josh Klein who also has that problem and you'd kind of make somebody worse along the way, and it probably doesn't uh, improve upon Pat Elfline. Uh, The team doesn't seem very interested in benching Pat Elfline. If they were, they would have already, obviously, because he hasn't played at a starting level at certain points in the season. And I think that's just because as much as we love to clamor for the backups as Vikings fans, those guys just aren't better than the guys they lost the job to. If Dakota Dozier were better than Pat Elfline, he would have won the job. And the team has shown a willingness to do that in the past with players that they've drafted or committed to that then get beat out by their backups. Alex Boone is the one that comes to my mind first and foremost. They were ready to go into the 2017 season with him until the preseason when Nick Easton played better than they thought, and then they cut Alex Boone as a surprise. Even guys like Michael Griffin in the past, who came in kind of anointed to be that safety a couple of years ago, and then he gets beat out by Anderson Dejo. The team is willing to do that kind of thing, and when they don't, it's not because they're being stubborn, it's because the guy that you want isn't as good as you think he is. And for Drew Samia, that doesn't necessarily mean that his future holds despair or dismay, it just means he's not ready to play yet. He came in kind of raw, and I I thought that when the Vikings drafted him, my thought was kind of like, yeah, he's I, I like the pick, but he's not going to be ready to play right away, we're going to have to let him cook a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that, but he probably won't be active here at all throughout the season unless a lot of injuries pile up and he has to get in the game. But that would be kind of a disaster because he's not ready yet and you don't want him to develop bad habits out of desperation because he's getting work rolled up by more seasoned veteran defensive tackles. That's kind of what happened to TJ Clemmings. 
So personally, I'm perfectly satisfied with where Drew Samia is at. He made the roster, he showed just enough flashes, he's just learning, and I love his odds to actually go steal away a starting spot next year, or at least compete for one, but it is kind of the the, the kind of thing that we probably aren't going to revisit in earnest until it's, you know, training camp and, and preseason time. So for now, let's move on to uh, Cameron Smith. Obviously, he didn't make the team. He was on it for a, a week or two when Anthony Barr was dealing with an injury, and now he's back on the practice squad, so not a lot to talk about there. That's one one that, you know, you hope your fifth round pick makes the team his first year, so you can call that for now a miss, but there is always a chance. And so that brings us to the sixth round picks, one of which the Vikings have uh, lost to waivers. Of course, Marcus Epps made the team. He was on the active roster and and was playing, I believe, in a special teams capacity. I think he was active for all the games in special teams. Uh, And that's really what you want in a sixth round pick. I thought he wasn't quite ready to play, but he never really was needed as deep as the Vikings are at the safety position. Of course, they have uh, Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith. J. Ron Curse was able to fill in for that. And now Anderson Dejo is back. And of course, they released Mark Epps, to, Marcus Epps to do so. He ends up on the Eagles, and there's always a chance with guys like this that they end up uh, returning to the team that drafted them, of course. You know, no guarantee that Epps makes the Eagles roster next year. Of course, he'll probably be in their training camp, and then, you know, you can come back. That that kind of thing happened with, like, Ifadio Denebo, who was a draft pick and ended up going to Arizona and Cleveland before returning here, and now he's kind of finding his stride. So, you know, the, the door is never going to be closed when a guy gets claimed off of waivers because he was a draft pick and he was on your active roster. But, of course, you spent a sixth-round pick on a guy you're not getting equity on. You can probably call that a miss. But as for the other two uh, sixth-round picks, let's talk about Armin Watts, who is now getting a little bit of action in his game. He spent a lot of time inactive. He did make the team, though, as the sixth defensive tackle, which is incredibly impressive because the Vikings had to really contort other spots on their roster to roster six defensive tackles. So it really speaks volumes that the Vikings were willing to keep him on the roster. Now he's actually getting in. I believe he got a tackle for loss on his very first NFL snap. He got a, a half a sack in his very first NFL game. He was disruptive even against Denver in limited snaps there. Uh, hopefully after the bye, Linval Joseph comes back. But if not, Armin Watts is taking those rotational snaps that Jaleel Johnson had to give up so he could go start, and he's been very productive with them. I actually really like Watts' chances to be a real nose tackle in the future. There's only so much time of Linval Joseph left, especially with salary cap issues coming and age kind of creeping around the corner. Armin Watts figures to be a reasonable understudy if Jaleel Johnson doesn't pick it up, and Jaleel Johnson's been on the team for a while. Right now, I feel better about the prospects of Watts than I do about the prospects of Jaleel Johnson, even though Johnson is higher on the depth chart. But I think my favorite sixth-round pick, of course, is Oli Udo, who is a tackle. He's one of those guys that's really raw. I think I talked about it yesterday in the Risk episode. I like those raw guys. I like the, the you know, g- give me an athlete, give me a jock who's a project, and if he's too raw to play, he's going to be there in the, in the late rounds, but if we can get him to figure it out and if we can fix his issues and and he works out then suddenly he's you know Lane Johnson right he is a super athletic tackle and if we can teach him just you know work out those kinks it it's it's a high reward decision right and Oli Udo is turning out to be that and what's really encouraging is what we saw from him in the preseason which was by no means perfect there were actually a lot of really bad plays but similarly to Drew Samia there were enough flashes for you to justify rostering him now knock on wood the Vikings have been pretty fortunate with the the health 
of their offensive tackles so far. They only had to use Rashad Hill for a couple of snaps here and there as guys had to limp off the field, but I don't even think anybody was out for the rest of a game. Correct me if I'm wrong there. So Udo hasn't needed to even be activated, let alone called upon to play. And that's, again, that's very much okay. And it's something where we're probably talking about him next season, pushing Rashad Hill for that swing tackle role. And eventually, if he continues to improve, then we can talk about starting. But we're a long way away from that. And with those raw players, you never really know where their ceiling is. You never know which habits are going to be unbreakable. Still, I really like his prospects, and I'm happy with where he is, even though he hasn't been activated and we haven't really seen or talked about him in weeks. The fact that he made the team and the fact that he put up the preseason that he did, very encouraging. So moving on, the Vikings made four seventh round picks, the first of which was Chris Boyd, who again made the team as a corner. I'm a lot less encouraged by him, mostly because of the preseason that he had was marred with a whole bunch of really bad bad plays. It was really between him and uh, Duke Johnson. Sorry, Duke Thomas, not Duke Johnson, the running back. That would be a very weird cornerback decision. Duke Thomas, the AAF alum who just played even worse and, you know, kind of was a little older and didn't exactly have the nebulous possibility of improving. Chris Boyd has also been on special teams and contributing in that way. It's hard to be like, you missed with him. I don't really believe in him right now, I guess, in in him improving just because he played poorly to start. But I also acknowledge that that's a a weakly held opinion. Of course, things can change over the course of a young player's career. Either way, he's on the team right now, not necessarily out of merit, but more out of necessity and a lack of a better option. Somebody in a similar situation who didn't make the team, even though there wasn't really a better option, was Dylan Mitchell, the wide receiver out of Oregon who didn't make the team. He's on the practice squad right now. He'll try again next year. And sometimes, you know, you just have to take an Anthony Harris year on the practice squad and come back and try to make the team again. It Even with an entire offseason with the Vikings cap troubles and with kind of more pressing matters on the roster to address in the draft, not to mention the fact that BC Johnson has kind of alleviated the need to grab a wide receiver. I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a relatively thin group again next year and Dylan Mitchell's prospects could look okay. And hey, speaking of which, Ola BC Johnson might actually end up being the best value pick of the draft. Not only is wide receiver a fairly important position, uh, the most important skill position for sure, and probably the second most important on offense next to quarterback, but he's been playing that wide receiver role pretty well. He hasn't been a world beater. He's not dusting guys deep. It's not like he's going to go, you know, ascend to Stefan Diggs stardom, although, you know, never say never. But if he can become simply a role player and descend to the, the the size of a Jarius Wright, that's a huge win in the seventh round. And honestly, just making the team and contributing your rookie year as a seventh rounder is a big win. And finally, we wrap things up with Austin Cutting, who I guess kind of got the long snapper job by default. You may remember my thoughts on that when all of the Corey Vedvik stuff was going down in, in the preseason. It seemed like McDermott had been out snapping Austin Cutting, uh, but I guess he just kind of needed to see if Austin Cutting was going to be a huge disaster. Disaster, and I guess you used uh, Kevin McDermott as a, a, a fail-safe until you could determine that. But uh, fixing Dan Bailey's problems kind of came down to bringing him back to one long snapper and also getting a better holder in the room that's been Colquitt. So I guess he gets credit for that, although he hasn't been all that accurate on his snaps. Of course, that's not something I'm going to talk about during game recaps. There's always something more important to say. Uh, but there have been a couple of times where Colquitt had to work very hard to get a snap from Austin Cutting kind of a nitpick, whatever, he's the long snapper. 
So there it is. There is your bi-week rookie review. I hope you guys enjoyed this weekend of football, even though there's no Vikings game. I will see you all next Monday uh, with more weird bi-week content. Uh, We'll be doing a couple more of these shows, and then we'll be back to the regular schedule when it comes time to do Crossover Wednesday with Locked on Seahawks. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all next week and as always skull